Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of Super Fantastic Nerd Hour. I am H.A. Conrad, here as always with my wonderful co-host and friend, Ali Matu. How's it going, Conrad? I called you Matu instead of Matu. Oh, well, you say Matu, (laughs) I say Matu, (laughs) Matu, Matu. Let's um, start the show. And let's start the new year <laughs> off with more mispronunciations on our end. So. Oh, man. Well, that's how I roll. Um, yeah. Conrad, episode 51. Yes. We're crossing into the journey to episode 100. We got a long way to go. Um, what are we talking about today? We are talking about uh, Marvel's Agent Carter, which is, would you term this a miniseries? Yeah, yeah, I think this is a total miniseries. Okay, so it's basically a 10-episode miniseries. So, so is we, it 10? You know, is it 8? Is it 7? I, I thought it was 10, but they've combined a couple. So, okay, um, okay. you know. And uh, then we are mashing up Agent Carter versus Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., another Marvel, Marvel, Marvel <laughs> property. And uh, we've uh, got an interesting uh, top five. It's going to be top five agents. We'll yep. see how, how that plays out, how we've defined that. And Conrad, we're adding in a whole new segment to the show. Yeah, so uh-huh. we're going to do a little bit of listener feedback. We do get get emails and interesting comments from our listeners, and we feel like that needs to be part of the show. So this will be the first episode where we unveil that little section. So that'll be after the top five. Yep, I'm really excited to do this, and uh, we got some good, we got some really interesting uh, feedback from the last couple of episodes, so we'll, we'll um, bring that in, and then uh, maybe over the course of uh, of the next few episodes, we'll uh, bring in some other feedback from previous episodes that we haven't had a chance to talk about on the show, so that'll be fun. So, um, Agent Carter, uh, th- this is a really interesting history here for this character, um, this is a character that uh, there's been some good good um, work on the internet this past week that's covering how this character came to be. Mm-hmm. I really like the video um, uh, Alan Kistler put together that kind of chronicles the history of how this version of Agent Carter is actually kind of a synthesis of other characters that we've seen in the Captain America storylines. Um, Conrad, was this a character that you had were you emotionally invested in at all before before the Captain America movies before any um, I knew about her vaguely um, and I knew you know I knew a little bit about her as I've said before I was not like the Avengers that was not I knew about them I read some of the stories but I wouldn't say that I was a, like they, they weren't something that I would seek out do you know what I mean yeah. so I didn't and I so you're you're gonna know who Agent Carver, Carter is if you read those books but um it's not, uh, you know, it, I wasn't, you know, I was like, uh, she's kind of cool, but it wasn't like I followed this character. Um, though I do think that watching the the Avengers and Captain America and things like that, you you like her character. And I think she was one of the best parts of the Captain America movies. Yeah, and you've, you know, I've mentioned this before, how the Marvel movies are actually bringing to light these other properties that we weren't necessarily exposed to or interested in. Um, you and I talked about this in our uh, Captain America the Winter Soldier episode, how we both really didn't follow Captain America too much, thought he was a little bit mm-hmm. too propaganda-y. Um, and my only exposure to the Captain America universe was the Captain America character in the Capcom uh, fighting games. Um, and that was about it. So uh, it's actually pretty cool how the Marvel Cinematic Universe is now 
mining the characters that they have available and they don't have available all the characters like they can't access Spider-Man who's at 20th Century or at Sony or they can't access X-Men who are at 20th Century Fox but they're now developing these uh, larger parts of their universe that haven't really been seen before like Guardians of the Galaxy yeah um, and it's interesting what you were saying just about, uh, you know, the sort of mashup scene, like how this character was influenced by other stories and things like that. And even watching this, all I kept, all I kept thinking was, wow, this is kind of like, it's kind of what somebody wished they had done initially with Wonder Woman. Do you know what I mean? Because huh. like initially in the comic books, she Wonder Woman or Diana Prince, which is her secret identity, is an army nurse. And then a mm-hmm. secretary, and eventually they do make her an intelligence agent. Agent in in the stories, like it, she goes through like a massive evolution in that in that thing in that sort of storyline, which changed with how people perceive things. So it's just interesting to see what they were doing with Agent Carter in this particular. Um, setting which is what they did with her in the stories but it's just it's a it's just a fascinating i think comic books and and stories about different characters especially female characters and to see how they're treated over time is is just a fascinating subject matter yeah absolutely and i think i think another interesting part of this story is how um this is a lot of the marvel cinematic universe has been um very strategically planned and very, and some of it's been, uh, well, I should, let me back up. It's been serendipitous. Uh, when they made Iron Man and they had the cameo at the end, um, that was really just uh, just kind of for fun. And it was planting the seed, but there was never an idea that that Iron Man movie would be the first part of this multi-arc series that leads to, Avengers, and then Avengers would then lead to this larger universe of Marvel stories. Mm-hmm. Um, but once that plan got going, uh, and they serendipitously had access and the rights to the key Avenger characters, then it, everything's been very strategically planned. And Marvel has mapped out and announced their films kind of leading all the way into 2018. Um, and I'm sure they have unannounced plans for beyond that. Agent Carter feels a little bit different where uh, fans have really reacted to this character. Mm-hmm. Um, Marvel made this one shot. They've done this for for a few different characters, side characters from, from their universe. And the Marvel one shot for Agent Carter was pretty popular when they premiered this at San Diego Comic-Con a few years ago. And based on that is where some of the ideas came to develop this uh, miniseries. And this is their first real um, female lead project. Uh, we haven't had a Black Widow movie. There's been announcements for a um, for a Captain Marvel movie that's going to be com- coming out. And they, they have a character that they're premiering on Netflix for their Netflix series. I'm blanking on the name of the character. It's not a character I'm really too familiar with. Um, but this is the first Marvel female-led project, and it's really exciting. Yeah, no, it's absolutely exciting. Um so and it's clear that they put a lot of effort into this and you saw the marketing for this. Oh, it's so, been really well marketed. Yeah, so, you know, I was very excited to to watch this. So, do we want to to get into our review and spoil yeah, the heck out of it? <laughs> let's talk about it. I just finished watching it about an hour ago. Ah, so, it's nice, very fresh. Very fresh for you. Very um, fresh for me. Um uh, what did you think, Conrad? Oh, well, I should hold on. Are we doing 
Um, I mean, there's not much to spoil. No, I think but. I think we spoil it. And but it's so early now that I think if you want to watch this before listening to this, you could do that pretty easily. So pause, yeah. watch, come back. And um, would you, before we get into our review, would you recommend this? Um, I would recommend with with reservations. Okay. I, I will say if you are a fan of Marvel, um, go see this. And even if you were turned off by Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as I was, as uh, spoiler alert for my thoughts related to the crossover chamber, um, if you were turned off by Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I would give this a, give this a chance. Um, I, I very much enjoyed it. With that being said, Conrad, what did you think? Um, well, first of all, I think it was really... It, they clearly paid a lot of attention to trying to, as as we've seen them do before, and what we've seen with what they've done with Agents of Shield, tying in the stories co- like coherently with what they've done in the films. And um, unfortunately, they do this with some really terrible flashback scenes. Um, but it, I understand what I- they were trying to do, but it's it it feels a little clunky and kind of syrupy the way they do it. Um, you know, I, I think it is a gorgeous, gorgeous looking piece of work. It looks very Mad Men, which I think is what they were trying to go for. Um, very, you know, like the costuming, the lighting, the color is very saturated. Um, and it does give you this, this sort of, um, vignette, like back in time kind of feel like this vignetting going on and the, like the the color saturation it gives you the sense that it is not it's in the it's going to be in the 40s you know so um i think that that just from a stylistic point of view they do a great job um the and i think that Haley atwell is amazing and it's part of why i think she's yeah, the kind she's of, great she's the kind of actress that can carry this this is yeah. why people fell in love with this character and why they want to see more of her she's very mm-hmm. commanding she's fantastic I think part of why I say with reservations is that I feel a little bit like the show is a one trope pony, which is you consistently see throughout it um, references to, you know, how she is discriminated against because she's a woman, women's place in this world. And I understand that that is going to be a huge part of that. But with Mad Men, it didn't feel as if um, who does Mad Men does sort of no, they do the same thing. Um people are existing in this world and they're not it's it's an accepted unfortunate piece of what the culture is and here it feels like people are a little too conscious of it like you have a lot of male characters going out of their way to be jerks and to treat her poorly and you get her pithy comebacks but i feel like they they overplayed their hand with that a little bit too much um, yes, uh, and and it bothers me a lot that she is this very strong female character, and on the one hand, she's very capable, and she's basically telling these other characters that are you know working with her and trying to get her to file things like a secretary, and she comes back with some really smart and awesome remarks, and then the next moment she's trying to get out of work by saying she has her period and making men uncomfortable, and it bothered me a lot. Um, so that was the, yeah. So that um, okay. I, sorry, sorry. I did. No, I was I, no, as I was watching. I was like, "Really? Come on! This is such a cool character." You and then you know, and they do get out of it, especially in the second episode. They do get out of it a bit, but it's still there, and it's sort of like rather than sort of being a piece of what culture was like then, it's hitting you over the head with it, which is the part that just bothered me. 
so um, uh, there was a lot there, and <laughs> me, sorry. Me, no, no, this is good. This is good. There's a lot for us to discuss. Um, so I'm I'm gonna agree with you. I really like the look and feel of this this era. Uh, I think they've done a really nice job with that. Um, it feels like they put in a lot of money and a lot of attention to detail here. And even though there's a lot of the same establishing shots, they just feel real to me. So I, I, I love that. Um, I do like the little touches with uh, with music. Uh, they were integrating some of um, the Iron Man theme from the third Iron Man movie into those scenes where we see Howard Stark, uh, Tony Stark's father. And I liked that. I liked that sense of continuity with the larger Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I've missed that from most of the films and with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So I like that. Um, I, I want to agree with you here. The, the big complaint I had just stylistically was the use of flashbacks. There were a lot. Um, flashbacks to Captain America. Mm-hmm. Flashbacks to um, – I, I can't remember if it was the first or second episode because – you know, they, they aired the, the ba- back to back. They, yeah. Yeah. They aired them back to back. But there's a scene where she is uh, uh, she recognizes someone from earlier in the episode and it flashes back. And we don't need that. We're not that dumb. We have just been watching this episode along with uh, we've been experiencing these events along with the character. We don't need a flashback to what happened 20 minutes ago for us to remember that oh that's the person she saw before mm-hmm. um that's okay you know in star trek 6 the director's cut to that film they they added in some scenes where they do this exact thing where they make these flashbacks uh where one character is is reciting these names of of who has been the traitor in this in this story and uh in the theatrical cut there are no flashbacks and the director's cut they added these flashbacks it just makes you so angry because it's really it's assuming that the audience is stupid and needs this filler we don't um so those uh those flashbacks really annoyed me um and with that being said, um, that was my complaint stylistically. I think the only complaint I have is similar to yours here, too. Um, I do think there is a lot of – that sexism theme does run through um, the story. It was – that was the big feature of the Marvel one-shot, which if you, um, listeners, if you haven't seen it, uh, it's it's – it's on video websites online. Um, probably shouldn't be, but it's it's there. But that's the main theme of that one shot as well, is no one is giving her a chance because she's a woman. And there's some great lines in that one shot where it's uh, they're saying that, you know, we only kept you around for pity because you're a grieving Captain America. And, right. And uh, I know. And that's the thing. And I think that's the thing is that I saw that one shot and it made me really excited to see, OK, what's next? Do you know what yeah. I mean? Because where and that she, ends is she's empowered as a character. Right. She's, and she's that's proven her her worth. Right. And I want to see more of that. And I'm not saying because clearly this is a huge part of what develops this character this is part of what makes her who she is so i'm not saying that they need to take that away because i don't think you can tell her story without telling that piece of it i just feel like i'd like to know a lot more about her and i think i think the reason why i'm less i think that that affected me a little bit less than you because i 
just already saw a bit of a shift, episode one to two, and we've got many more episodes to go. And I think they are going to take this character in some other directions. And um, I think one of the things you're speaking to here is you want to you want to see this character grow and develop beyond just the sexism theme, beyond just her having to deal with the sexism. Because if you look at Mad Men, and you, it's hard not to make those comparisons because they're almost in the same era Mm -hmm. and they have that same feel and these shows have been on air at the same time um agent carter's not going to be Mad Men because it's a very different type of show but if you look at the character of peggy on that show um peggy goes through a a lot of um similar experiences she experiences a lot of sexism but her character and her story um is much more than that yeah, uh, and I th- I think we're going to see that here with Agent Carter. Well, too. that's why I said with reservations because I am giving this a chance. I do want to see more of it, and there was enough promise in this that I am looking forward to see the re- seeing the rest of the series. So yeah, I, I'm hoping to see more of it. I'm hoping that part of why they were so heavy handed in setting it up is to maybe just really establish these things about her character, um, well, and, and then move forward. Um, but yes, again, the flashbacks, that, I think that's part of what bothered me so much about the flashbacks, because I don't think you need, um, I feel like you just don't need that many of them. It seemed like that it was such a strange crutch for them to be using yeah. to establish some of the storyline, which you don't need because you're drawn in enough at that point, at least I was, uh, that it just seemed unnecessary. And as you said, I think it treats the audience as if they're not very intelligent. Um, yeah. You know, I got to say, though, that, that um, the theme of sexism is definitely something that's resonated on the Internet. Uh, there was a great YouTube video by uh, Only Lee, I believe is a YouTuber's name, um, called Agent Carter's Toughest Mission. And it's it's um, I won't ruin it. It's only 50 seconds. So. I saw it. So yeah, it's it, really good. <laughs> it's great. And it, it, we'll put it in the show notes. You we'll put it in the it. show notes. It's all about um all of these different sexist things she has to deal with in here. Um, and it's it's hilarious. And that is definitely something that's resonated. And I think the other thing here, what Marvel is doing nicely, is they're touching on real aspects of history that happened. And the challenge that a lot of women experienced post-World War II when they were, uh, when women were so integrated integrated into the um, economy and so integrated into essential jobs and parts of the workforce like manufacturing, uh, you know, all the rosy riveters and, and all of that. And then what happened when um, members of the armed forces came back and uh, many of these women were discharged from from their jobs and sort of the men were kind of taking their place. And what happened to the gender roles as a result of that and the adjustments that families had to go through when women really became the head of the households while the men were away fighting and all of that, that stuff that happened. Uh, I think Agent Carter is touching on some of those things and – it's uh, it's great to see that come up for discussion. You know, Mad Men is one thing, um, but Mad Men is it plays to a niche audience. And while it's a very successful cable show, uh, it, and it's you know won a lot of Emmys and accolades, this is appealing to a little bit of a different demographic. And mm-hmm. it, um, it's great to see these themes play out for a different audience on a network like ABC. Yeah, no, absolutely. And again, it's beautiful. The production value is gorgeous. Um, 
I was really impressed. I didn't know what to expect, but I would by the production value. I wasn't sure how cartoony they would make it, but yeah. it really does. I mean, it looks like a mini feature film. It's beautiful. Yeah. What do you think? Uh, or, well, before I ask you that question, that's that's something that Marvel did well with the first Captain America movie, the first half of it um, that does take p- place in the past. I think they they have done these period pieces pretty mm-hmm. well. Yeah, and um, it's I was expecting this not to be good, Conrad. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah, totally. Um, uh, it's no. No secret that I'm not a fan of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Yeah, um, but you know what? You have not given it enough of a chance, my friend. I think I've given it plenty no, of chance. But we'll, we'll talk about that in the crossover. Um, but I, I I love the Marvel films. Um, I have, from my experience with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I wasn't expected too much from TV, uh, their TV work. But I, I've really enjoyed this a lot. And um, the action actually was working for me. Um I was enjoying it, and I thought it was great to see this character kick so much butt. Um, and I think uh, it was—it looked good. Um, all aspects of it, uh, action actually was holding up. Cool. You know, the other th- scene that uh, that annoyed me, Conrad—the um, scene where uh, where she's talking to um, to Jarvis, mm-hmm. and so we should talk about Jarvis because yep. I. I love I love their relationship. Well, and I like the idea cuz like, you know, obviously in the Iron Man movies, Jarvis is the AI that yeah. the that <laughs> Tony Stark talks to all the time. Um, but it and so then you get to see what that was based on, so that's really cool. Um, but go ahead what we were going to say. Well, what I was going to say is I love that we're seeing here a relationship between a female lead and um and this male and it's not romantic. Mm-hmm. You know, thank goodness that it's not romantic because that is, that's how a lot of these pl- things play out. And then it, uh, again. The, well, I will the, say yet. <laughs> I don't think he I will. I mean, he's, got a, I, he's got a wife and hopefully he will stay committed. I to, hope so. To I'm just, lead. you know, yeah. You know what I'm saying, though. Yeah, so. I, I, I don't think it's going to go in that direction. And one of the problems that happens with a lot of these uh, when big properties do put females in the lead is they still are defined by their relationship to a male. And we got a little bit of that with this character early on with her relationship to um, to Captain America, but it's grown from there, and she's not defined by that. Um, she has her own, her own agency. Um, she is empowered, and she is... Uh, we see... Care- you know, this is definitely passing, um, passing the classic test, the Bechdel test. Uh, we see two female characters talking to each other and not talking about a male. Um, so it's it's nice to see that. However, what are the things that bug me between um, Agent Carter and uh, Jarvis? The scene where they are meeting and sitting oh, they're back to back thing. Back to back. I'm so tired of that. It's such a weird. I thought they were playing fun with it, so I thought it was a deliberate ploy to make you laugh. That I I thought they it was a bit tongue in cheek. 
So I, I, to me, they were playing up with that. It wasn't to me. It was a, it's sort of an inside joke. I, I hope that's what they were doing because <laughs> I, because I, I initially had the same reaction. I'm like, oh, look at their sense of humor because it really was. <laughs> it's such a ridiculous thing. Um, and you know, and he's handing her a hanky, and it's yeah. That, that was no, that was great. Um, I did. I did like that. If the, you, you're probably right, they probably were playing with that because the hanky thing is so over the top. Yeah, it totally um, over the top. Um, though I will say the Jarvis character, he, I like him, and I like the idea of him. And as you said, the fact that they're not, you know, um, I would disagree with you. I do think that they have some tension. Clearly, um, really, yeah. Um, Romantic attention? I don't know. There's it. some tension just in, like in the relationship and getting to know each other and things like that. And you get the sense that it's like they're building this relationship, i.e., friendship and perhaps um, partnership, depending on what goes on in the future. But there's definitely there's the whole thing where he's he's helping her like dress her wound where there's like kind of a, a weird awkwardness. So um, I don't I don't. Well, think- that, I mean, that's awkward situation. Right, right. But in any case, I, I think, you know, you're correct, though. There's not they're not like flirting with each other generally. No, um, no. But one of the things that I think was genius about what they do with this character is that I found him frustrating in his rules. So he has this whole rule that every night he goes home, he makes dinner with his wife, he goes to bed at nine and he doesn't like to get out of that rule box basically and agent carter finds this extraordinarily frustrating and there's all these other little things where he does similar he's like i'm gonna stick by this thing that i said and i will not deviate from that plan and she forces him to and basically tells him you can expect more of this in the future and he looks a little nervous about that and so i as she was frustrated with him i was also frustrated with him and i'm like come on man have a little bit more have a sense of urgency about it these are these are important things going on and he didn't and i think that that's that's a really interesting thing to do with a character so Mm. i am interested to see more about him that reminds me of the scene where she is um, um, speaking of rules uh, the scene where she is applying for the apartment and what we see are the cultural expectations of women at the time that you will maintain uh, certain um, boundaries that you will uh, be home at a certain time have there's a curfew over here and there's that great line where she asks you know do you expect to continue working at the phone company or how long do you expect to and she says I until I am married um, which I thought was a great way in which again Marvel is is adding a little bit more of what it was actually like in this era and the roles of gender um, and you know they didn't have to do that uh, they didn't have to go to that extent they could have simplified the story a bit but they didn't and I really like that I appreciate that yeah um, and then you know just one, one point on the costuming which stuck out a little bit to me the Carmen um, San Diego wing uh, yeah which is so funny because <laughs> I saw one of the initial photos that came out and I was like why are they making her look like Carmen San Diego and then she one looked, of and yeah. then one of my really good friends had a, had commented on Twitter and said the same exact thing and I was like ah oh, great minds and then I saw well it wasn't just us clearly it was everyone everybody was saying it so, <laughs> so it just stuck out it was sort of an odd was it a deliberate choice 
place because it fits because for that many people to come up with that there's no way that i don't know it just seemed a little strange that nobody maybe it was deliberate and it was like also a tongue-in-cheek thing for those of you haven't seen it it's it's an image of agent carter in a silhouette um you you don't really see her but there's a a red head a red hat that is very vibrant and it just screams carmen san diego from where in the world is carmen san diego the old video game and later tv show uh yeah that was weird um that was weird on my way to work i always walk by the abc studios on the upper west side and they have a giant giant banner agent carter banner up right now and that's the image they have there so i i, I think i've been seeing carmen san diego on the way to work and i'm like there she is um but yeah that was weird uh on on the plus side though did you catch the little iron man 2 easter egg i am not sure so because uh, there Doc- were there were a few oh yes 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 uh, with um, uh, yes I yeah, did catch so Doctor, that uh, Anton Vonko uh, is in this show and uh, if you recognize the name Ivan Vonko is Mickey Rourke's character mm-hmm. in Iron Man two so there's a nice tie in there um, it, it, there's little sprinkles here and there for. Um, for the fans of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So it's nice to see them do that. And I think we're going to get a lot more of those as uh, the miniseries uh, goes on. No, absolutely. And I think that they, as I said, I think that Marvel does a fantastic job of tying in the feature films with their television series and pays attention to continuity. I mean, there's always going to be a few things that, that stick out, but I think that they did a very good job here. That's actually something that's kind of weird about this. Kevin Feige has uh, the the guy who's really the uh, um, the creative. Oh, I, I think I know exactly what you're going to say, and I was going to mention this. Go ahead. Oh, interesting. Um, well, he has mentioned before. He did this great Q and A after uh, their reveal of their uh, of the next phase of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and someone asked them uh, asked him, um, "Are you going to do any prequels?" And he said, "No, we are pushing the Marvel Universe forward. We don't want to go." backwards we have a lot of interesting stories to tell so uh, negotiating that with agent carter uh, this is a character who appeared in the world war ii era has appeared in uh, 1950s flashbacks in agents of shield has appeared in present day in captain america winter soldier is going to be an ant-man we don't know how is rumored to be in uh, age of ultron the next avengers films and now we have here in the in the 50s or 40s um she's kind of all over the place and kevin feige has said that they aren't doing prequels so that's where i'm wondering what what role is this miniseries going to play in the marvel in the marvel cinematic universe well i honestly think that she was such a par- like popular character and people wanted to see more about her i don't think that they were anticipating how popular how popular she would be yeah and I think that this was a reaction to that. I don't know that I view really this as a prequel. I guess it could be. But it isn't, you know, it doesn't feature Captain America enough. So it almost makes it her own little universe. But I see what you're saying. And that I thought the same thing when, when the first, because um, the one shots are one thing. But now you're basing series on a character. Yeah. And, and, but... 
I mean, I think that they're, I think that they felt like they wanted to do more with her just because of the fact that she was so popular and there was such a positive reaction to her. And you know what? They're getting a lot of feedback about the fact that people want to see more main female characters. Yeah. So perhaps this is a response to that. And it's a character that clearly everybody really loves. So, but that brings me to my other point. And this is, you know, yes, I get where it is set. I get the time frame that is set but again this is the whitest cast of characters I have ever seen <laughs> um, I just you know I get it I get it I get it there's a period piece but I just um, it really stands out for me now and it makes it to me a much less rich show but yeah yeah, And maybe that'll change as we get into the series. But um, I think it would be an interesting counterpoint to see because, um, you know, there's a lot of discrimination going on, not just sexism um, during this particular point in time. Absolutely. And I think it would be interesting to see other other people's points of views. And again, I think that we're so to me, we should be far past this and we're yeah. not. Well, I, I, th- I think you said it really well right there where there um there is a lot of discrimination happening in this era and if they are featuring the gender uh discrimination here that's happening the sexism i hope they they do feature some of the racism and discrimination that's happening as well i think that'll be interesting i think those are the two threads for us to follow as this miniseries unfolds and it's definitely one that i'm going to be picking up um to watch over the next few months so i i hope to see that definitely change and improve yeah, and I mean, uh, you know, a few people were um, um, talking about, and I think we, we were, we are going to see some of this. Um, you know, um, it, I think we're, go- I think they're going to show more of this. There's been a couple of spoilers. A few people have actually said that they think uh, that Jarvis is possibly gay. Oh, and, really? And yeah, and that, that's why you don't see his wife and things like that. So I, we may be seeing different ideas surrounding discrimination. And so, you know, we'll see. That um, would be very interesting so, and, and, and quite a... Um, and I got that, I, admittedly, I got that vibe a little bit. I'm like, there's a reason why they're not showing his wife. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, yeah. so we'll see. Um, but, you know, I, one, I, I remain interested in seeing the rest. I do recommend that people see it. So Can I mention one more thing? Yep. Uh, before we get to a crossover that I really liked. I love the Captain America Adventure Hour. Oh, yeah. I thought that that was used very well. Um, there is basically a radio, tele, a radio um, drama going on that is throughout the, the series. And they, they put it in in very artful places and it's it's really an interesting little feature it was a a nice little device i will tell you the one thing i didn't like in terms of some of the effects that they used including the cheesy flashbacks the overuse of flashbacks in my opinion was the use of the typewriter messenger system which i just felt (laughs) was like use it once don't use it all throughout the series it gets really boring and it just it's you know they used it in fringe a lot too and i felt the same way it's like okay we get it you're you're having some weird secret messages through another dimension and whatever but you're really again hitting us over the head with this a little too much it didn't bug me too much i just kind of thought of it as like email um it, it i was okay with it uh so yeah we'll see, we'll see. hopefully that won't be too much of a of a continuing uh, thing. Uh, but give me a lot more Captain America Adventure Hour. Uh, I love that there's a 
a scene of um, of uh, the Captain America Adventure Hour in which Captain America rescues some damsel in distress, and that's sort of playing against Agent Carter kicking a ton of butt. Um, well, and also because she knows Captain America and she was yeah. there with him, she's kind of rolling <laughs> her eyes at this whole Adventure Hour, like, oh my gosh, you know, this is ridiculous. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's an interesting premise and I'd like to see more of this show. So I'm looking forward cool. to the rest of the series. Cool. Maybe we'll touch back upon it in a future episode. Well, now are you then ready to enter into the infinite crossover chamber? And in the crossover chamber today, we have Agent Carter versus Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, I was thinking, Conrad, an interesting question might be what series is uh, is best contributing to the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Well, see, I don't know that we can have a, a really, truly in-depth discussion because you don't really watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., my friend. So I've seen... Okay, let me tell you the story. And this is why I was on board for making this uh, a crossover this week. Um, we've only seen the first two hours of Agent Carter. And uh, that's practically how much time I've seen uh, uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, but you <laughs> haven't seen the parts where they really integrate the the Marvel Universe and the Marvel storylines. No, like, to, to be honest with you, I've seen about six episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I saw the first three... And then I saw the um, I saw a couple episodes around the um, uh, Captain America tie-in. Okay. Um, and then I think I saw the yeah I saw the season finale, which that might have been the season finale. I don't remember. All right. Well, I'll, I'll well, we can delve into this discussion. I just had to call you out on that. That's all. No, fair enough. Fair um, enough. And As I we will, talked about last week, uh, geek cred is an important thing. And I will fully admit here, I do not have the cred of being an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, fan or have given it uh, all episodes. Well, and we'll talk about this. You know, I'll be honest, on my part, when I first started watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I had a very similar reaction to yeah. yours. And I actually, I stopped watching it after maybe the first four episodes because I was just really just not happy with how they were treating the subject matter and the characters other than Agent Coulson really annoyed me. Um, And then a friend of mine, actually several friends of mine said, you know what, you should really give it a chance because it's, it's recovered itself. It's sort of finding its, it's finding its balance and it got a lot better. And I, so I binge watched the first season and then I, Agreed. I think the writing got a lot better. Some of the character development got a lot better, and so I think in ensuing seasons they've they've found their stride. So I I would just throw that out there, and I think that the Captain America tie-ins, along with the the making sure that the timing and the continuity with the movie release, uh, the Winter Soldier, was really well done. So this is a song I have heard sung. Many many times, and you're not on board, which is okay. Which is okay. I there have been many people who have uh, told me that exact thing, and I tuned in for that reason. I tuned in for the Captain America tie-in. Yeah, but you can't really make that judgment if you haven't watched the whole thing. I think I think you do yourself a disservice by just sort of skipping around. The same problems I had with the pilot and the the start of the series were the same problems I had when I tuned in again. Um, Here's why I I tuned out. Um, So number one, it, it, the writing feels 
like where I would expect things to be maybe in the 2000s um, for network TV. Uh, but it's not really at the level of, of what I'm used to and expecting from uh, – from based on Walking Dead and mm. based on some of the other yeah, but it's but it's a different network and it's also more of a popcorn television show. I know, I know, and that's why I don't know if I can if I'm really into those network kind of shows anymore, um, especially with the action. It just here, here's the big problem. Um, New York Post did a great article this week about um, five reasons why Agent Carter is better in Agent Shield, or Agents of Shield. And one of the reasons um, that really stuck out to me is it's set in the past, and it doesn't have to compete with the ongoing Marvel mm. Cinematic Universe. When you watch films like Captain America: The Winter Soldier or Avengers, and you see this universe living and breathing with superheroes, and you see the kind of the weaving in and out that these different characters have, and then you watch Agents of Shield, it just seems like so small budgeted and so small compared to this larger film universe. It it's competing with these big name uh, superheroes and those big name superheroes just don't live in this world that Agents of Shield does. They definitely feel it just in scale. It feels like Agents of Shield is fanfic, while uh, the Marvel films are the real deal. That's what it feels like to me. All right. Well, that's that's a fair. I understand why you don't like it. I guess I just, in terms of what is on television and and what is going on in terms of of shows based upon you know the marvel universe and comic book universe i think agents of shield does a better job than most um and i like that it's out there um but but i hear what you're saying so i want to like it conrad it's got a diverse cast um it has it it, it it's a very geeky premise um it is i'm a i'm a fan of the marvel films and i think they definitely are are trying to add a lot and integrate and weave in and out um eddie almost has been announced this week that he's going to be on agents of shield at some point maybe that will bring you in that that, (laughs) one yes probably um Um, and then and then patricia helfer can be on there too and then you'll be like i'm in i'm in um (laughs) it's like Pretty much just had the Battlestar Galactica cast. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I hear you. But I will say, I think in terms of if your question, if you're, if we're just going from the first, if you just limit it to the first two episodes of these two series, I think you're correct in that Agent Carter does a better job at reflecting the Marvel Universe and tie-ins um, from the future films. Um, well, and And part of why I think that is... Because Agents of Shield in the first couple in the first couple of episodes, it's almost like they're trying too hard to establish that connection. So they rehash a lot of the storylines, and they and they really they do treat the audience like they're not very bright. Um, so because they understand that they're trying to, and and you and I have discussed this before. I think that they and and this is some in part with the the shortcomings of Agent Carter, it reflects that as well, in order to attract a bigger audience, an audience that is not necessarily a fan of the Marvel, uh, the Marvel storylines and the Marvel universe, they are trying to be everything to everyone. And yeah, yeah. I think that they're trying to basically hit hard and fast and get people invested in the show. But to me, they... 
they are so over the top with what they do. And some of this is with the characters that they establish. Agent Coulson is always, I think he's an amazing actor. Um, and I think he does a great job. And he is the big attraction to me for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and especially was initially. But some of the other characters that they set up, it's like you've got your your computer hacker and she's like a bad girl. And, you know, you've got all these sort of tropes that feel yeah, yeah. a little bit too forced. And uh, you've got May and she's like the 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 badass you know, agent that doesn't feel anything, you know, like there, there's all these things that are a little bit too soap opera and a little bit over dramatic. And, um, and I feel like agent Carter did a little bit of that, but it wasn't bad enough that you were taken out of the storyline. You do want to find out a lot more about her. And, and even though it's connected with the Marvel universe, it's not, um, it's not, you know, it's not over the, it, it, I, I keep using the term over the top, but it's basically it doesn't feel forced and fake and like, OK, now you know that this is what we're doing. You know, like it, it's a little bit more natural. I think, I think because it's a uh, Agent Carter is a period piece, you can get away with um, with with a little bit more than you can with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And, right. With the writing and the writing, the writing is part of it. I think another an, Two interesting things that come up for me with this is uh, it's a self-contained story, uh, Agent Carter, mm-hmm. whereas Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is not. It's this ongoing TV series, and it's it's a lot – I think it's easier to create a cohesive story with a beginning, middle, and end when it is uh, a miniseries. And Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., it's, it's trying to do a lot for this uh, media conglomerate that is Disney. It's trying to be its own show, but it's trying to also um, push the Marvel product and their, their stories to a different audience. But then it also has to be very um, – like as you said, it's got to be pretty mainstream. It's got to be able to um, appeal to this uh, wide audience that – you don't have to do on a show like Walking Dead that's on cable TV and appealing to a niche audience. So I think Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has a lot less uh, or has a lot more barriers to being a successful story. Um, With that being said, the the ratings have been pretty equivalent for both for Mm. the premiere of Agent Carter. It it picked up right where the ratings have been for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, so I think people were expecting a little bit more, um, but it's 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 been okay uh, so far. Um, you know what you know what I was thinking while I was thinking about this particular crossover chamber and pitting these two things against each other, and some of your arguments in the past about Agents of Shield. I keep thinking about um, what Elder Geeksman had to say about Gotham versus Smallville. Yeah, And I'm wondering if maybe some of what is going on is the fact that, you know, we're older, we're from a different... Like some of this show is not directed towards us, clearly. Sure. Um, so I, I under... You know, I think some of what the appeal is, clearly they're trying to appeal to a younger audience. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of these characters in the storylines, um, there's, you know, there's definitely a little bit of a teen, teen drama thing going on. So I like that's that is I'm wondering if some of that is maybe why it's not appealing to you. Perhaps I am also immature, but it does. It does. <laughs> the things that I don't like about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that did bother me and still do to some extent is that it does. There's a little bit of a soap opera feel to it, from, well, you I know, could. and it doesn't it doesn't have that. Um, and you're right, like doing a storyline that, you know, is is 
is a contained storyline, it's a lot easier to stay on message and on point with what you're trying to do with different characters because you know you have a very limited amount of time to do it. I think the problem, the, the downside to that is that you also need or feel like you need to cram a lot into that t- finite amount of time. Mm-hmm. But I feel like Agent Carter is doing a pretty good job of that so far. Um, uh, I, I think you're absolutely right here. I have a number of uh, teenage patients that I see who love this show. Mm-hmm. Love it. Um, uh, one of my patients spent um, 10 minutes. He asked me, do you watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? And I said, oh, well, I've seen a few episodes. And he said, you need to watch this now. And went into <laughs> a 10-point... Um, argument, analysis, uh, debate of why I need to give the show another chance. That's pretty and, awesome, by the way. <laughs> oh, it was awesome. I love this. I love this guy. Um, he loves this show, um, and actually hasn't seen the movies. Hasn't seen any of the Marvel movies. Wow, really? Which, which really fascinated me, and that's the show got him interested to go see Captain America Winter Soldier because he knew there was going to be a tie-in. Which um, is interesting because that's probably what they're trying to do here. Exactly, so, exactly. you know, so again, we're not necessarily the target audience here because I think, well, I mean, they know that people like me, I'm going to go watch it all. They know that. So they don't really need to play to me. They need to play to trying to bring in the newer fans. So in, in that sense, though, I mean, it has been a success. It's it's a show that was picked up for a second season. They're, I think they're getting some amazing actors. Um, in addition to Eddie Olmos, they have... Um, Lucy Lawless. Lucy Lawless. Kyle right? McLaughlin. Oh, my gosh. I forgot. So so now we're going to have two Battlestar alums yep. on, on this show. Yep. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, seriously. Um, um, but anyway, yeah, no, I think... If if I'm looking at this just from the first couple of episodes, I'd say Agent Carter does a better job. Um, but I I put in the caveat that I think if you watch more of Agents of Shield, the tie-in and the marketing that they did with the Winter Soldier was very well done and very smooth. So, um, gonna give the slight edge to Agent Carter here, but have to give kudos to Agents of Shield because it's like it's harder to do that in a longer ongoing well, storyline. Let me ask line. you this, Conrad. Have you been watching season two? Yes. Do, does, do the ramifications of uh, the Winter Soldier play out well? In yes. A, in an interesting way. Yeah, in a very interesting way. In fact, I think, honestly, I think that they're doing a lot better in this season than they did in season one. And uh, well, I guess, I'm, gu- I'm guessing it's gonna the events here are gonna play out for Age of Ultron. Yeah, I think I think that's where they're going, and I think that you know the other thing is that's a very difficult thing to do too, because yeah. you're trying to make all of this stuff watch like match up in, an, in, an, in an incredibly long storyline. Like it's yeah, it's, it was really. Well, I, I got to give them credit for that. You're you're absolutely right here. The fact that they timed it up with their episodes so seamlessly at, with the release of the film, uh, uh, The Winter Soldier, and then having it play out next week, being able to go see the movie on Friday, and then to be able to follow up in a few days and see the next step of that universe on TV is a very cool thing. Yeah, so um, I think that they're doing a pretty good job there, but if we're just looking at the the premiere episodes, then I'd say Agent Carter definitely has a leg up on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on that point. Well, let's, uh, and I agree with you, that's, I'm voting for Agent Carter here, but let's uh, stay tuned. Maybe, maybe Ali will start watching now that Eddie Olmos <laughs> is coming on board. 
and then we'll we'll have to revisit Agent Carter as the series yep. finishes up. And you know, who knows? It might if this is successful, they might uh, renew it for another run um, of uh, another handful of episodes next year or they might uh, pick it up for a show who knows Um, all of that is possible so with that let's close up the doors on the infinite crossover chamber that was a good that was a good one yeah, that know, was like I, solid and satisfying. Good job. Oh well, I, I, those are two things I uh, endeavor to speak on this <laughs> The sound effects. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've got a uh, top five agents today, Conrad. Yep. And um, I'm just curious, did you have any criteria going into this uh, this discussion? I did. They all have to be top five women agents. Oh, cool. Um, so they're not all necessarily secret agents, but. Yeah. But they're there. So so that was my criteria for this one. Because uh-huh. I did it a little bit, you know, an homage to Agent Carter. Um, because as I was thinking about this question and coming up with this in my head, I was like, you know what? It's really fascinating just generally if you look at the world of secret agents and how secret agents and spies and things like that are represented in you know, in, in movies and films and television shows. There's a real dearth to uh they're they're mostly men and they're mostly white um and so yes so that was my criteria uh my one of my picks is a definite homage to agent carter as well um my criteria was uh being a secret agent um one of my picks kind of breaks that rule but it'll make sense why once uh, it's revealed and Um, i will say not all of mine are fictional either so oh man Okay. All right. Well, I, I'm really excited for this. Um, all right. Um, would you like to take it away with your number five, Connor? Sure. Um, my number five is Diana Prince, uh, which is the uh, alter ego of Wonder Woman. Yeah. Um, and this is, I, I think I gave a little bit away in our intro, but she, she her, her secret identity and her identity within um, the universe changes over time and she eventually is a military intelligence officer um, as opposed to a secretary although when she was a secretary she did have uh, super powers so that I guess she w- she knew how to do shorthand because of her uh, <laughs> her perfect memory as an Amazon princess um, <laughs> that would make it easier yeah yeah so um, you know there I had to throw her in here just because the Agent Carter parallels um, and it's interesting to me, her evolution as a character uh, within within the DC universe um, changes quite a bit, um, and it changes also related to um, related to what when you saw the Linda Carter portrayal of Wonder Woman in the television series, and I'm curious to see what they do uh, with the the Batman versus Superman, uh, yeah. which is film uh dawn of justice which is coming out in 2016 um as we know her own individual film yep um, soon after uh yep and there's a lot i mean part of why i picked her is that there's and you know we could talk about wonder woman all day and sexism and bondage and snm and (laughs) all the things that happened to her within her comic books which is really interesting and lack of uh and few female writers right Um, right and it's all men who are doing this with her but I, i had to throw her in here because you know what She's been operating a male world for a very long time. <laughs> yeah, she's so. been around for a long time and um, uh, highly recognizable. Um, yep. I think thanks to the 70s TV show, 
this is a, a character that is uh, has lived on in pop culture. Yep. Um, and can hang out with those big boys uh, and can uh, give them a run for their money. Uh, but she is my number five for a lot of you know. It, it's it. I couldn't put her all the way up on the list because there's a lot of you know negative things I think uh, that are portrayed as well. But you have to you have to give credit where credit's due. Yeah. Yeah, so that's cool. Um, my number five pick is uh, not uh, not male or female. I guess it's a computer program, and it's mm. Agent Smith uh, ah. from The Matrix. <laughs> that's a good one. Nice one. <laughs> you know what? One. That didn't even that did not. I didn't even <laughs> in my uh, thinking that did not make it. So good job. That's really smart. That was my very first thought when we uh, decided to do this. I was like, oh, Agent Smith is totally going to be in here. So we haven't really mentioned Matrix much on this show at all uh, to this, up to this point. And the first Matrix film, uh, which came out in the late 90s, was a pretty important one. And for, for me, it, it felt like it was uh, in some ways my generation's Star Wars moment in terms of going to a movie theater and seeing something that we had never seen before, um, both visually and in terms of the storytelling. And I think Matrix did a nice job of capturing some of what was happening in uh, science fiction literature and bringing it to the big screen. And I know there is some people question sort of how much of this was coming from the Matrix versus um, how much of it was inspired by other works, whether in anime or um, that kind of stuff, and then all of that, all that stuff is true. But one of the reasons why the film really works is because the villain, Agent Smith, is mm-hmm. so interesting, yep, and so relentless, um, and so committed to his goals of, of wiping out uh, Neo, this anomaly. And uh, there's just uh, so many great lines about uh, how human beings are a disease and, and they're the cure and, and, and all of that. And I, he's the personification of, of the machines, of computers, of the, the software, of this Matrix world. And I loved his character. Now I will say that... Uh, things get a little ridiculous <laughs> in uh, in the sequels, and um, I think friend of the show who was on last week, Derek Bishop, and I have had um, some disagreements about the Matrix sequels. Um, he, I think, likes them, and I do not. But all that being said, Agent Smith still a cool agent. Cool. I, I think that that's an awesome choice. All right. So moving to number four. Um, uh, do you want me to go first? Yeah, yeah, go for it. I'll give you a little break since I have been putting you on the spot. Um, my number four pick is Agent 99 from Get Smart. Oh, that's a good one. That's one uh, of the ones on my honorable mentions. Ah, okay, good. I was, I was wondering if uh, she came up on yours, your list. So um, I love Get Smart, the original TV show. Um, I watched it all the time with my dad. It was... Uh, it was a show that we, uh, along with Columbo and all this stuff, it was something that we always look forward to watching together. And Agent 99, uh, why I picked her and not Maxwell Smart, um, the the main lead, um, Agent 86, I believe, um, is because she's kind of smarter than him. And she, mm-hmm. while she, there's many episodes where she is the damsel in, dis- in distress, she usually has a better handling and understanding of what's going on. And uh, Agent 86 uh, Maxwell Smart would never really 
be able to make it without her. Nope. Um, and I thought she was a funny and a cool, uh, cool character in that show. So, cool. AG99. Um, so, my number four is Julia Child. Really? Yes. So, many people know her as this fantastic chef, which she was, um, and a cook show guru who would sometimes overindulge in the cooking cherry and whatnot. <laughs> um, but what a lot of people don't realize about her was that um, during World War II, she actually worked for the OSS and she rose to the ranks. She started as a typist and then uh, a researcher and uh, she ended up working eventually for uh, the, the leader of the OSS, who was uh, General Donovan. Um, so she actually did a ton of things. Um, she helped develop shark repellent. Um, what? Yes. Uh, she she was sent overseas quite a bit, um, was in charge of overseeing the flow of information and messages through um, uh, f- through the different networks and, and was basically in control of a lot of stuff and privy to a lot of very... Um, confidential information um, and that was classified and she always downplayed her involvement um, and this a lot of this stuff only came to light um, they eventually revealed uh, like who different OSS agents and things were so she wasn't your typical secret agent you know I wouldn't say that she was necessarily a field agent but I thought that this was absolutely fascinating <laughs> um, in terms of, of what she was doing um, and the fact that it was a pretty hard time um, to be a woman and to be in this for this level of responsibility within that agency, and so I picked her because it reminded me a little bit of Agent Carter. Um, and you know, it's it definitely if if you haven't read about it, you should should check it out. That is very very cool. I had no idea, Conrad. Most Absolutely. people don't. I actually saw this a few years ago. It was I was like, really? I cannot believe this. So um, it was. It's pretty interesting information, and and I do like how humble she was about all of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. She always termed herself as a secretary, and then a lot of people are like, no, she was a lot more than that. <laughs> and maybe some of that was because she was told she had to be. It had to be confidential, but uh, she just seemed, you know, ha- who knew really, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, great pick. Um, going on to number three, my number three is Garrick from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Um, oh, the, that is a great choice. Oh, oh, man, I totally miss that. That was That's an awesome choice. He's actually one of my favorite characters from Deep yeah, Space Nine. He is. Yeah, he's so awesome. For those of you who might not be familiar or need a little refresher, uh, Garrick is the humble tailor. <laughs> he's so good. On, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. He works at the Deep Space Nine promenade. And um, what what I love, uh, Garrick sort of epitomizes what I love about Star Trek Deep Space Nine, where it's not just the principal leads that are, that are well-developed, but it's these um, reoccurring characters that become just such a big part of the show. And Garrick is one of the best ones, where um, we really, throughout the whole series, don't have a good understanding of his backstory, but one of the things that is revealed is um, he was a member, or is, or a question mark, huh? I don't know, um, of the Cardassian intelligence uh, agency, their equivalent of the CIA or the the Tal Shiar 
or the uh, if you're if you like the Romulan uh, uh, analogy there, and um, he plays so many critical roles throughout the uh, that series, and it's just a really well well developed neuron uh, not neuron uh, nuanced character. Um, but it sounds like Conrad, you've got a lot of love for Garrick as well. Oh no, I do because even in even in the episodes where he's not the main. Um, the storyline is not necessarily all about him. It's all, he always adds a, a great um, level of, of drama and and snark as well yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, to yeah. the episode. And he's he's this great character because he people always distrust him, and he actually does conduct himself. Um, to his own code of morals, and you never know what's going to happen with him. Yeah. Um, yeah. And often there's a lot of misdirection with his character where you think he's doing one thing and actually he is acting honorably, despite <laughs> himself for the most part. So He, he is uh, a central figure in my favorite episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, which is In the Pale Moonlight. That's and, a great uh, he episode. He is also in one of my favorite quotes from Star Trek's Deep Space Nine. It's a interaction between him and Quark, the bartender. Um, and I believe Quark offers him some root beer. And Garrett goes, oh, so bubbly and sugary and sweet. What is this? And uh, Quark goes, it's a human beverage, root beer. And Garrett goes, oh, I hate it. And then uh, Quark goes, yeah, but you know what? If you keep drinking it, you're going to end up liking it. And he goes, just like the Federation. <laughs> <laughs> love it. I yeah. love it. Um, it's Yeah, yeah great great character um so what's your number three um my number three is josephine baker um and josephine baker for do you know who she is no uh josephine baker was um a very famous uh dancer and singer and performer and uh she was uh you know um she was actually born in missouri in the u.s and then um went over to France and became a citizen there because she uh, was, you know, she was discriminated against a lot in the U.S. because she was an African-American woman. And some people considered her acts to be very risque. Um, She did a lot of burlesque-type dancing and things like that. But she was um, the first African-American woman to star um, in a major film production, which was called Zuzu. Um, and But she didn't find a lot of this discrimination in France, actually, and she was allowed to do the things that she wanted to do over there. But why she is on my list is because during World War II, um, she, she had done this thing where she had initially um, supported Mussolini when, when he invaded Ethiopia. And so basically the Axis folks thought that she was on their side. And because of that, she took advantage of this and became a spy for the Allies. So she would carry um, secret messages in her sheet music, um, and she um, also she would uh, she had like different diagrams or photos of uh, military German military uh, installations pinned into her underwear. So when she went through customs, they didn't find it. Oh wow! Um, So she did a lot of stuff like that, and by the end of. by the end of the war, she was actually a rank. Uh, she managed a rank of lieutenant in the the Free French Air Force. So, um, and also received the uh, Croix de Guerre, which is uh, I think she was 
that was a first for an American woman to receive. So she is my number three. That's a great pick, Conrad. Cool. Yeah. Um, I feel like I, I need to go on Wikipedia and, and yeah, this is read a, up on seriously. We'll put these in the show notes, but these are all fascinating. Um, generally, anything about spies I find fascinating oh, <laughs> because I, I would know, make because I personally would make a terrible spy. I'm like the worst liar of all time, <laughs> <laughs> and I think I would like my my level of anxiety were I to be like uh, an agent, I just wouldn't be able to pull it off. See, I am my problem. My problem would be I'm too trusting. Yeah, you know, people too. would be like, "Hey, I need you to do this." because I'm a good guy and I'd be like okay uh, <laughs> but so. but I'm absolutely fascinated and you know and especially her in this just interesting position I mean she was quite a conspicuous character um, so yeah definitely this will this will take you these these entries will definitely take you down the Wikipedia rabbit hole nice well someone else who often went down in the rabbit hole and fashioned his way out of it is my number two pick, which is MacGyver. Ah, that's a good one. He's on my honorable mentions because, alas, he is not a woman. <laughs> yeah, 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 alas. But, um, but he is awesome. MacGyver's awesome. Um, a lot of fond memories of, of watching the show. Uh, MacGyver, uh, played by Richard Dean Anderson, who a lot of people know from Stargate, uh, the TV show. Uh, he was a s- fictional secret agent. Um, and what's so cool about him is he kind of refused to carry a gun, I think. Mm-hmm. And he would always find his way out of situations by fashioning uh, tools or sometimes explosives and things like that. Um, but he always uh, used his intellect and skill and engineering proudness uh, to uh, to get out of situations. And I thought that was just really cool. I was always captivated by um, this. I, I, I was captivated by this, as were my brothers. Um, and... Bill and I just maybe last year rewatched like an episode or two of MacGyver. Oh, no, don't tell me it's bad. It's not bad. It's just very funny. Like it's it okay. just you know Oof. it's it's you know what the pacing of television shows now is so much faster. Yeah, I know. So it just feels a I little know. bit. It, it feels very uh, very not very slow, but it's just slower. And yeah, the costuming and the hair, you're just like wow, <laughs> wow. We <laughs> thought, is... and I wonder. It's always you always wonder what people are going to think looking at shows made now. Just oh, you know, things come back around and all that. But man, his hair is something else. Well, and p- the pacing of shows has become much faster uh pacing of everything of tv and film has has become faster and this is the one of the problems i have with showing um people episodes of star trek the original series or even star trek the next generation um if they're not fans of star trek and they watch it they're kind of asleep about 20 minutes into it because the pacing is so slow um the stories build so much more slowly so i think yeah that is a barrier unless you have the nostalgic value of of watching these shows again um sometimes they don't just uh, they don't keep up yeah. or they don't hold up i should say what's uh, your number 2 conrad um my number 2 is uh violet uh sosbo and uh some people may know that name or that sort of uh that um that character from the video game Velvet Assassin. Um, so she was a, a special operations agent during World War II, um, and her husband was was killed um, in battle, and she 
because of this, decide to, to join the service. And so as a secret agent, she did, she, she was very short-lived, sadly, um, but she parachuted into France um, where her the plan was is that she was going to do some sabotage on a railroad um, and, and pass along some, some uh, secret information. Um, but after she did this, she was captured by the Nazis and she was um, transported to Ravensbrück, who many, you, many of you may know that name, um, the concentration camp, and she was executed at 23 years old. Wow. So she did all this crazy stuff. Um, but, um, yeah, this is, uh, th- these are just the fascinating stories. Can you imagine doing that at 23? No, no. You know, I, parachuting, I was... parachuting into France? Like, what? No, no. My, my year, 23rd year of life was full of uh, not doing anything near anything like that. <laughs> um, wow. Uh, again, I'm going to add it to my Wikipedia list of things I need to read about, of people I need to read about. Yeah, and I mean, you know, part of why they, they that she was fluent in French because her husband had been French and things like that. And um, I just think it's, you know, it just... I again, it's just like the the thought of somebody doing this, like at twenty three years old, and being like, okay, first of all, you're married and you have a kid, and then your husband dies, and then you're like, okay, I'm gonna be a secret agent, <laughs> you know, like like <laughs> what's the thought process, of like what's the thought married? process, and and you know, like uh, she had moxie, as as you would yeah, yeah. put it. Um, so in any case, I, I just think it's. Uh, a very sad end to her, but man, you know, I just don't think enough of these women get the recognition that they deserve. Absolutely. Um, I we're going to number ones, and I kind of want to let you take the lead here, Conrad. I... My number one is actually could be controversial. Huh. Um, she she is um, she was not a she was not a spy for the good guy. Huh. No, um, and you probably know her name if you've ever heard of it, uh, or her name that her was sort of her alter ego. Um, but her real name was um, Margaretha Zell, and she was a Dutch woman. Um, and she actually began stripping under the name Matahari. Matahari. Okay. You never heard of this? Uh-uh. No? Okay. Uh, so basically, she used this role as a stripper um, to spy for the Germans. Um, and they most people In think... America. Uh, no. Um, she was definitely overseas. But um, uh-huh. she was, was supposedly also a double agent for the French, um, though she was eventually executed by the French because... Um, they, uh, they. I don't know if they fully believed her or she wasn't able to prove everything, but she really used this. I mean, if you if you read about her, it's again, you know, <laughs> I do not think that I would have the moxie to do what she was doing. <laughs> like, and she's appeared in different fictional um, episodes of various things. Um, you know, you've seen her name probably. Um, probably through uh, uh there's like different films that happen and you know i think she's been mentioned a different like i can't remember there was a couple of popular things that she was her character was like there um but yeah she just in terms of like hi this is what i'm gonna do and i'm gonna become a stripper and i'm gonna use this to get secret information from people 
you, for both sides it's like wait not only are you a spy you're you're possibly a double agent what are you doing i think if you want to be a spy uh being a stripper is a very good way to uh to do that you could probably get a lot yeah. of good intel yeah uh, and then i think it like in the 70s they eventually unsealed documents about her which basically proved that she was truly an agent an agent for the germans mm. um but you know it's I don't know. It's just so fascinating. The, the way the things that motivate people and allow them to operate in this way, I think it takes a very special kind of human. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Very interesting. Um, my number one pick is uh, uh, not not nearly as controversial. Uh, Sydney Bristow from uh, Alias. Oh, good. Good job. Good idea. Yeah, I, I didn't was... particularly like the show. That's why I did not pick her. Uh, what didn't you like about it? Um, well, actually, some of the arguments you used about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., it just felt a little too, uh, <laughs> no, to me, it just felt a little too shallow and a um, little too much of a soap opera. Um, although I had friends that I do trust their opinion who really, really love the show. Yeah, um, yeah. It, which is what's interesting about it, because I think it worked in that era of TV. Um, I, that was sort of pre-Battlestar Galactica, pre-Walking Dead, pre-Breaking Bad, um, and uh, I, I was I was cool with it, and it's J.J. Abrams um, developing, I think, a, a cool, interesting, fun universe. And um, I think it, the show uh, I think the show was well done, and it um, uh, went on for a good amount of time. Um, and I uh, um, I liked it. Um, I think Jennifer Garner was great in the role, and. Um, yeah, I, I was. I wanted to pick a number one that was an homage to uh, Agent Carter, and Agent Carter feels like uh, she is an homage a bit to uh, um, to this character. So that's that's where we got. That's where I came up with this. Cool, cool, good one. Um, uh, I have a couple of honorable mentions, but yeah, I won't go too yeah. long because I wanted to get to our uh, listener feedback. Um, Nancy Wake, who really should have been on this list, was um, she was a New Zealand woman. Uh, also, she worked for a journalist um, in France when World War II broke out. If you notice, all mine are World War II, most of them <laughs> related to the Agent Carter storyline. And that's also where a lot of spy stuff happens. Right, right. Um, but <laughs> she actually um, established a massive uh, spy network to the point where uh, the Gestapo had had a price on her head that was worth millions in those times in that dollar so um she was she was eventually honored with like the highest civilian awards and she was i think one of the most decorated uh female spies during world war ii um and then my others are actually you know the what we talked about agent 99 and then i had to throw in a jack ryan although not technically a spy more of an analyst um and uh jason bourne yeah, besides Jack Ryan and Jason Bourne, I don't really have anyone else. Uh, Ethan Hunt, probably, you know. Yeah, I, I didn't put Ethan Hunt on there because I his, the Mission Impossible movies have been a little bit more um, hit or miss, I think, but I, I, I've still overall enjoyed them. Um, yeah, but the television series, that's more what I was thinking series. of. I mean, he was such a great, good, a great character. Anyway, yeah, so that absolutely. that's it for my honorable mentions. But definitely uh, we'll put some of this stuff in the show notes so people can can go all wikipedia <laughs> <laughs> well um hailing frequency is open conrad we've got some listener feedback um 
don't quite have a sound effect for this segment yet, but That's we'll, okay. we'll think of something. Um, so we've had we had some good feedback, um, especially we wanted to mention, um, as you mentioned earlier, Alan, the elder Geeksman, sent us a great email, um, which was responding to uh, episode fifty. Uh, episode on what is a nerd, which I got to say, Conrad, I had a lot of fun doing that episode. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. I don't, and I think that that, as as Alan points out, the nerd geek debate could go on forever. Um, he's he's saying that you know it went on since he was a kid, which is in the sixties. So um, I was interested by his observations, um, and what he says is that one of the biggest changes in cultural attitudes happened in the 80s and 90s with the computer revolution, and he said before that being a nerd was not okay. Uh, he first went to a Star Trek conv- convention in San Francisco in 74, and it was with uh, selected friends, and they didn't talk about it with his quote-unquote normal friends. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he, it's an interesting email. I really enjoyed a lot of his observations. Um, so, um, and it, it's really cool what he says here about uh, Bill, Bill Gates. Gates. That's what I was going to say. This to me yeah, was like the it. highlight of it. No, you go ahead. I... Well, he says um, he refers to Bill Gates as the alpha nerd because um, he really changed things. He was he was a classic nerd. He looked like a nerd, and then he kind of took down IBM um, with Microsoft, and it was this sort of uh, this nerd then appeared on the cover of Time magazine, and with and, and he of... was an unabashed nerd too. You oh, know, absolutely. he was totally like, "I am a nerd, and I am proud, and I'm not making any excuses for it." <laughs> you know, and seeing these guys, uh, what Alan says here, um, and those guys were not shy about Star Trek fandom, Dungeons and Dragons, and the Star Wars craze. Um, the internet just added to that image and he points out the difference between when Star Wars first came out and by the time we got to Return of the Jedi um, how much things had already started to change there and the general population was coming to our side mm-hmm. um, I like the way he phrases that yep. so it's it's really interesting I think it's things have changed a lot over the last 30 years 40 years and um uh alan has on his website the elder geeksman he does take this perspective of being the elder geeksman and he definitely provided that in this email so Mm -hmm. thank you for that alan um it's it's an interesting debate it's an interesting change and i think you know five ten years from now it's just it's i'm really interested to see how that plays out because we're at this point now where it is so okay to be so into these things um given any of the definitions we brought up it's it's become mainstreamed in many ways and we're seeing the backlash now and the um uh, some of the turning away of people well you're not geek enough so it'll be interesting to see how this continues to play out yeah no absolutely um and then we got some other feedback about our into the woods episode uh jan levin uh, at the Jen, Jen Levin, rather, on Twitter, uh, had listened to our Into the Woods episode, and she let us know that um, the film version is toned down with the wolf. We had talked a little bit about how the wolf was super creepy and the pedophilia reference was creepy, and uh, she was saying that um, on Broadway, the wolf costume actually features a big furry penis hanging out. <laughs> So, which, um, <laughs> that that's always what it was meant to be, and it, and you know, so in fact, they had actually toned it down for um, 
the film, although maybe in the version you saw um, in Shakespeare in the Park uh, or Public Theater, Ali, maybe it because was, the toned down it, maybe it was yeah. tr- toned down. I had never clearly seen the Broadway version, so that was a very He's, interesting observation. He um, still didn't wear pants in the uh, Broadway. Or, I'm sorry, the Shakespeare in the Park version, but. Um, yeah, I think I think uh, Jen has a really great point here that that character has always been um, very unsettling. Um, I I think it's while that aspect of it was toned down, um, making uh, Little Red Riding Hood uh, so much younger added right. a different level of creepiness. So True. Th- it's all creepy all over. Everything. Right. Um, uh, but she also says that uh, the PBS version with Bernadette Peters as the witch is excellent. So she, I believe it's on Netflix. So I am actually going to check that out. Yeah. And we got some great um, uh, uh, musicals recommended from uh, Randy and uh, Justin Weathersby um, at Randy Nason and Justin Weathersby at uh, Weeby LLC. Uh, Randy was mentioning West Side Story, Fiddler on the Roof, Sound of Music, Moulin Rouge, and Book of Mormon. And uh, Justin mentioned, uh, adding to the list, Rent, Cats, Chicago, Guys and Dolls, Phantom of the Opera, Les Mis, Wicked, and Hello, Dolly. All amazing musicals. Um, Yeah, and we we actually got a a couple of different tweets about this, which... um I, I don't have them pulled up here, but uh, somebody was saying, you know, does it make me, it, I've never been able to get into musicals and things like that. And, you know, I, I truly believe that even people who are not musical nerds um, could, it, there there are musicals that if you give them a chance, will touch everybody. And I feel, yes. and I don't mean in like a weird way. <laughs> Um, but not in I, a wolf way. No, no. Um, <laughs> but I feel like Wicked is one of those that has like a large, like ma- like it can reach far and wide. I think people, it, it's accessible to everybody, and the the music is amazing. Um, yeah, and I mean some of them, it, 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 some of them need to. Be, you got to be in the right place in the right time yeah. to get it. I think Rent. Rent is one that did it for me, but Rent can feel very 90s and mm-hmm. very dated in the film version. Um, and then I think West Side Story is another one that's a bit timeless and, and for can appeal to a lot of people. Uh, and I think Into the Woods belongs on that list. Uh, I got it. So, Conrad, there's one thing I got to say here, my own feedback. Um, so I saw Les Mis on Broadway this week. Oh, and but we, you saw the new production, huh? I saw mm. the new production. Yeah, yeah. And... Um, you know, my review of that is is it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. They they took a very different direction than the previous direct, um, uh, version of it by um, making a very minimalistic stage where uh, it's it's inspired by Victor Hugo's original paintings, and they're kind of these moving paintings. It's really cool how they did that, and the lighting in this production is phenomenal. It's like another character in the show. It's just. Uh, uh, I, I think actually, friend of the show, Bill Wadman, would probably really appreciate how they're playing with light here. But here's the problem. I mean, you and I talked about Into the Woods versus Les Mis. Mm-hmm. I, I think Russell Crowe has ru- ruined Javert for me. Like, uh. I, I can every time. <laughs> that's I all heard, you can hear. <laughs> that's all I can hear now. Which is a shame because he's really, that's just especially some of his stars. I mean, come on. That's such a great, such a great song. I'm I'm sorry that he ruined it for you. Every time I I heard the wonderful actor on on Broadway start singing, um, I just 
couldn't imagine anything but Russell Crowe. It just it's horrible. So he, I'm putting even more weight behind uh, our Into the Woods pick for that crossover. All right, all right. Well, and I'd like to, just like to say thank you everybody for your feedback. And I personally have not yet seen Book of Mormon, um, but that is one of the things I would like to see. Have you seen it? I haven't seen it. I have. Um, I've got the score like mem- or the soundtrack memorized. Um, right. I have it and I've listened to it many times I think it's hilarious but I've yet to see it because it's so expensive in New York City I know so that's I mean that's honestly why I have not seen it but everybody you you and I need to go to Boston or DC and see it on tour yeah but you know what the the traveling casts are not as good that's why New York's so expensive so they're good good, but they're not as good Um, so but that's definitely on my list to see um, in terms of some of the recommendations but I appreciate the feedback from our listeners and I'm always interested to hear what people have to say because I, w- I want to hear new things that we should check out. So thank you, so, everybody. Listeners, please keep it coming in. We would love to hear what you thought about Agent Carter. Uh, who's right here on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Is it Conrad or is it Ali? And let well, us know. Who we, we both actually came out in the same place in the crossover, my friend. <laughs> we, we did, but I'm still more negative. You're still more negative. But you're, you're, you're make negative without enough information. But, but I'll let the listeners throw in their feedback here. <laughs> and let us know who are some of your favorite agents, however you would like to define that. Um, you can contact us at info at superfantasticnerdhour.com. Uh, we have a website. And if you go to nerdhour.com, that'll take you straight there. We're also on Twitter at nerdhour. And Conrad, where can people find you? Uh, people can find me this week on Twitter. Dieprince is my handle. And also on Reanimated, which has been on a bit of a hiatus due to winter illness and holidays and such. So now that the plagues are over, we'll be back with a new episode this week, hopefully. Um, you will be reanimated. We will be reanimated. Um, and uh, my co-host Stuart Tiffin was saying that, is this end of days? <laughs> because it was just, we were like, I was sick, then he was sick. And yeah, it's all, it's all, but hopefully everybody's recovered uh, shortly. But that's uh, reanimatedpodcast.com. And on Twitter, we're, we're reanimatedpcast. Now, Ali, your new project, is that, is that what, what's the update on that? Well, the update on that is uh, if you go over to youtube.com slash thepsychshow.com, D-O-T-C-O-M, or you can go to any of my other stuff and it's linked to it there. Um, the Psych Show, it's a, uh, it's a weekly YouTube series where I'm going to be making psychology fun and easy to understand. Episode two is up, which is all about the psychology of nostalgia. Um, you can also go there, and I'm dressed as Marty and McFly throughout the video. So you <laughs> nice. can enjoy that as well. <laughs> trying to use Back to the Future to help people all understand nostalgia, something we talk about all the time. So definitely check that out. Let me know what you think. Um, someone just commented and said, I like the video. Uh, plus, cool beard so if you have any feedback <laughs> let me know you um, do have a pretty slamming beard my friend oh thank you thank you um one of my patients asked me um why do you dye your beard and i was like what are you talking about kid and he said uh why do you dye it white you're too uh you're too old or you're too young to have grays in your beard and i'm like kid that is not dyed <laughs> <laughs> it does look make, make you look very distinguished though oh thank you i do what i can um, so definitely check out The Psych Show. Uh, subscribe and let me know what you think. And you can also find me on BrainKnowsBetter.com where I write about the psychology of science fiction. And I'm also on Twitter at Alima2. 
And um, until then, Conrad, until next episode, uh, do me a favor and please live long and prosper. Indeed. Indeed.